Personalised care is increasingly prominent in the UK's health and social care landscape. What do we know about its benefits and what are the issues that policymakers and service deliverers need to consider in designing and delivering personalised care approaches to realise positive outcomes? Welcome to Insight for Impact, the podcast from SQW featuring conversations with experts on the issues that matter in economic and social development. Hello, welcome to Insight for Impact, the SQW podcast. I'm Joe Duggett, the director of SQW and host of the podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today for our second podcast by two of my SQW colleagues, Lauren Roberts and Sarah Brown. Lauren specialises in research and evaluation of health, social care and children's services interventions and initiatives. She has extensive experience leading complex mixed method studies of service transformation, new ways of working and innovative approaches to achieving social outcomes. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Joe. I'm pleased to be here. And I'm also joined by Sarah Brown. Sarah specialises in research and evaluation in health and social care and has a particular interest in the role of innovation across service delivery and the wider social and economic development landscape. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about personalised care, what it is, what we know about if and how it can deliver improved outcomes, and the issues facing policymakers and delivery organisations in seeking to realise its potential. Lauren, Sarah, can we firstly define what we mean by personalised care and how has this developed over time? Personalised care is fundamentally about making sure that people have choice and control regarding the care that they receive. And essentially, it's about focusing on the question of what matters to you, rather than the more traditional question of what's the matter with you. It's about making the most of the assets and the strengths of individuals, and also thinking about the assets and strengths of their support network, and the communities in which they live. So personalised care is not a new concept. It's been around for some time now, but it's been increasing in prominence and importance, particularly in healthcare policy and delivery. There's a broad recognition of the potential that it's got to reduce health inequalities and also its potential to really change the dynamic between those providing care and those receiving care. So it's interesting to know that personalised care stems from social care rather than health care. And if you go back to the 1970s, there were a series of movements about disabled rights, independent living, service user rights. And all these movements shared two important principles, which were respect for the individual, their own beliefs, preferences and strengths, and self-determination, by which we mean the right of a person to determine their own path in life. One of the earliest examples of this appearing in government policy was in the 1990 National Health Service and Community Care Act, and that introduced new arrangements for tailored individual care packages instead of block contract services. Into the new labour years, there are more policies to do with personalised care, such as putting people first, which was 
an agreement between central and local government and the social care sector. And this introduced the idea of a personalised adult social care system where people had more control and choice over the services they received. Then there were direct payments um, and a direct payment is where someone is directly given an amount that they can choose to spend on their own care rather than receiving support from a service. And these were initially available to disabled adults of working age, but they've been extended to other groups. In terms of the NHS, the way it's been conceptualised is as having different application for different parts of the population. So for the whole population, the idea is that there should be patient choice and shared decision making, as well as access to social prescribing. Then for the 30% of the population with long-term conditions, whether that's mental or physical, they would also get access to social prescribing, as well as potentially support to help them manage their own conditions. So potentially health coaching or a personal health budget. So the NHS is pretty committed to this. It's in the long-term plan, which is a statement of what the NHS wants to do over 10 years. How common is personalised care now in the UK as a model of, of service delivery? There are examples of personalised design and delivery of care all across health and social care. It's become increasingly embedded and accepted as the right thing to do over recent years. And the examples that are out there really do span the entire life course. So if we think about the practice of social prescribing, that's one example where personalised care has come to the fore over recent years in particular. Now, social prescribing involves an individual's needs, interests and strengths being explored and understood. And in light of those needs, interests and strengths, priority areas for action being jointly agreed between that individual and a practitioner or professional working with them, often via an in-depth discussion. So in that way, the, the individual, the patient or the service user is directly involved in identifying what matters most to them and is involved in identifying potential interventions or support or solutions that might help them to work towards that. There are examples of personalised care at quite a condition-specific level. So we've seen, for example, personalised care planning in cancer care support, for example, to help address people's social, emotional, financial and practical needs. And this is in recognition that non-medical needs and assets can be hugely important to individuals and also play a really key role in their health and well-being. There's an example that I've seen that might bring that to life a little bit. There's the piloting of personal budgets for looked after children with mental health needs. And in this, in some areas, children in care would be identified as being eligible for a personal budget. And once they've been identified as eligible, they then have an assessment with a social worker who would try and find out what their goals and strengths and ambitions were, as well as what their struggles might be. The aim in this conversation is to find out what turns a bad day for that child into a good day and then think about how they can have more good days. A lot of children and young people might be having difficulties with their close relationships and school and so on, which might be affecting their confidence, their mental health. 
And for a lot of them, a personal budget could be used to do something that was fun or inspiring in some way, creative or energetic or something that would make them feel more positive and have more of those good days. Some of the things personal budgets were used for were mountain bike, renting an allotment. This is really interesting because it's much better ethically and practically to improve someone's mental health with a mountain bike that allows them to get out and exercise instead of referring them to mental health services, which are massively oversubscribed. So it sounds like there is a clear understanding of what the potential benefits are from this approach. What do we know at this point about whether the benefits for individuals and for wider outcomes for society are actually being realised in practice? That's an important question. The evidence base is emergent and it's growing all of the time. The findings being generated from all across the sector really do indicate some positive outcomes in terms of people's experiences of personalised care. So people receiving personalised care and involved in its planning tend to really welcome that one-to-one approach. People report feeling listened to and genuinely heard as well as welcoming being treated as an individual. Gives them a sense of responsibility and ownership of their treatment or the the services that they're receiving or securing. Absolutely. So the evidence base varies in terms of the types of data that are captured and drawn on. Uh, It ranges from large-scale surveys, international literature and evidence reviews, all the way through to individual case studies that really illustrate the impact on individuals and their lives. There can be benefits for the health and care staff too in delivering personalised care. So in terms of their experience, it can improve morale, for example, if they feel that they're better able to meet their patients' needs. This is something that we've been able to evidence on studies through doing staff surveys or interviews. And it's quite a positive benefit from personalised care that shouldn't be underestimated. There's significant pressures on the healthcare workforce. Recruitment is really challenging. So anything that keeps staff happy and helps retention is obviously really important. Something else that seems to be a benefit of personalised care is reduced medicalisation, delivery of less intensive medical care, or perhaps you could say care that's more in line with people's wishes. This is a really important goal for personalised care, but it's a lot harder to evidence. You can ask people what would have happened in the absence of personalised care and then hypothesise about the different pathways between traditional care and personalised care. And there's some examples from programmes we've looked at where participants would give this information in surveys or or interviews that say if they hadn't had this care, they would still have been going to the GP or, or something along those lines. I've also come across some research about shared decision making that shows under traditional model of care, a high proportion of people, say with hip problems, will go on to have surgery. Whereas under a shared decision making approach where the clinician tries to explore what is important to the patient and then helps them consider all the different options in that, like more people opt for for physio and pain management than surgery. To do something different, commissioners would like to know that something is going to cost less or at least that it's not going to cost more. So there is a drive to to measure any potential financial or economic benefits of personalised care. What we mean by that is reduced use of services or lower cost interventions or medicines use. And that is really challenging to measure because showing costs avoided is, is just challenging. How people use services can be really complicated. There can be a long time lag before outcomes. 
there's really not that much evidence actually in this space. So we've got a wide range of potential benefits. We've got emerging evidence on the potential effects and the benefits both to service users and to arguably to the public purse in relation to funding and cost. In taking forward thinking around implementing personalised approaches, what do policymakers and service deliverers need to think about in realising the potential impacts and benefits from a personalised care approach? A really important starting point is to map out and think about exactly what the service or intervention is really trying to do and achieve. Mapping that out via a logic model or theory of change can prove to be a really helpful starting point in clarifying the rationale for that particular approach, who's involved, what will actually happen and what that is expected to achieve. Now, speaking from personal experience, we know that that can be particularly important if an evaluation is planned, but it's also a really good way of generating shared understanding around what the model is expected to do and achieve. And involving service users as part of that process can be really powerful too. The other thing that it's really important to keep in mind is that some of the outcomes anticipated may not emerge in the short term. Now, that's really important to keep in mind, particularly if we're thinking about short term funding cycles. It's key to have realistic expectations about what might be achieved and when. It's also really important that commissioners and those planning personalised care adopt a systems perspective. By that, I mean thinking about potential knock on implications across the local health, social care and voluntary and community systems. Thinking about to what extent is there sufficient capacity and resource elsewhere in those other parts of the system to deal with any changed level of demand or shift in patient flows and thinking about what the implications might be for things such as waiting times or their eligibility criteria and their level of needs they are asked to support. Now, the development of integrated care systems and the planned introduction of integrated care boards on a statutory footing from next April might help to support this joined up thinking. But it is absolutely crucial, we would suggest, to, to personalised care. Now, at a more operational level, another key issue to think about as part of that systems perspective is ensuring there's awareness and understanding of exactly what else is out there. What is your offer to, to patients and service users and how suitable might it be for those within your target cohort who may well have different wants and needs? Retaining up-to-date knowledge about the offer that's available to service users is really important, but it's not without challenge. Yeah, I think there's a lot of operational issues for areas or systems to consider. There's a lot of upfront investment to get any new approach off the ground. Staff need training, they need support. There's very practical considerations like how to factor in having a personalised one-to-one conversation when this isn't already happening, especially if services are already operating at capacity or above capacity. There's probably also something about workforce culture helping staff to understand how they can maintain safety and quality when they're working outside traditional models or pathways of care. 
it's also not just the the staff it's also the patients who need support to engage in personalized care to have that equal engagement with the intimidating consultant who they're used to just sitting and listening tell them very technical stuff about their cancer or, or whatever it is so everyone will find that their role has kind of changed under personalized care so they, they'll need support to do that probably thinking more at a system level again going back to lauren's point you need to think about how the funding works so depending on what kind of personalized care you're talking about where does the money go does it go directly to the patient or does it follow them through the system so it's a nominal allocation to them and then that has consequences for how how services plan and deliver where there's more uncertainty maybe about what the treatment or pathway might be for a patient so there's there's just a lot of things to consider that's a really good set of challenges and issues for service deliverers and policymakers to be thinking about. We're recording this discussion or we're, we're talking in late 2021. Are there any implications from the COVID-19 pandemic for personalised care in the future? Yeah, well, I think the obvious one is that COVID's increased waiting times waiting lists. There's huge backlogs, for example, for surgery. There's also increased demand on those services as well, particularly in terms of mental health. That's one thing. Not to forget that COVID is actually still a real present issue that hospitals and other healthcare services are still dealing with. Also, don't forget that the voluntary and community sector plays a big role in personalised care. Um, and there's been pressures on the voluntary sector through COVID. So there's practical questions, I suppose, about how you can get the healthcare sector, how you can get staff to do something new, do something different when it's just struggling to stay ahead and do the day job. I think fundamentally, personalised care should be part of the solution to addressing the big problems facing healthcare. You know, it's about finding out what really matters to people, helping them find the right individual solution, and therefore really solving the problem in a really full, comprehensive way. But it's definitely not an easy option. Lauren, Sarah, thank you for your insights on personalised care and how policymakers and delivery organisations can realise its potential, including the need to take a systems perspective to understand the role of personalised approaches in the wider health and social care landscape, its implications for the roles and experiences of both staff and service users in moving to a mindset of what matters to you rather than what's the matter with you and thinking hard about the different types of and routes to impact and how these can be captured and evidenced effectively. I'm Joe Duggett and I've been speaking to Lauren Roberts and Sarah Brown, SQW experts on health and social care evaluation and research. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Insight for Impact, the podcast on SQW. To learn more about SQW, our people and our latest thinking, please visit our website at sqw.co.uk. And if you have any further feedback or thoughts on the podcast, or would like to suggest a topic for future episodes, please get in touch with us via LinkedIn and Twitter using the handle at SQW.